What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 13 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Sam, how are we getting on, man? I cannot complain at all. I'm delighted to be here this evening. First of all, let us explain why it's been a month again uh, since you've had an episode to listen to. Basically, <laughs> you might remember from the last episode that we did, I said that I that as the second week fell, which we re-released this fortnightly, that I was going to download, which meant that we wouldn't be able to do an episode at that time. And what I tried to do uh, was get a band in to just do an interview, just me and them, just so I could do like a one-off episode that I could release on the Wednesday that I was going to download. Um, but that didn't work out. I mean, I, I did my best to work out the interview with the band, but for whatever reason, that just didn't come to fruition, which meant that I was at download, um, when we usually record the podcast over the weekend, and me and Sam can only really do fortnightly episodes. We don't. We we need to stick to the pattern that we've already got lift uh, in place because of work commitments and that kind of thing, which meant that it was had to be another month and, uh, since the last episode, which we do apologise for. But uh, like I said last time, these instances will be few and far between, and they're very much there shouldn't be another one of these for a long, long time now. I did say that last time, to be fair, <laughs> and then literally like a month later, we've had another month break, uh, but. That was literally out of our control, I do promise you. Um, but luckily for you, boy have we got a banger of an episode in, in store for you today. Oh, this is the most excited I've been to record a podcast uh, since we've been doing it, to be honest. Because we're going to go through the next list of Sam's greatest metal albums of all time. Then we're going to talk about Slipknot's self-titled record. It recently turned 20 years old, literally two days ago, while we're recording this. So me and Sam are going to dissect literally everything about that record from cover art to production job by Ross Robinson to how old me and Sam were when we found the band to the actual songs. All of that we're going to talk about. It. Um, me and Sam have never done this about the self-titled record before. We've spoken about it in, in flitting mentions on how brilliant it was and we did a sound check episode back in the day talking about the history of Slipknot but we never actually focused specifically on the first record and I know we've both got a lot to say about it. Me Agreed. and Sam were also at Metallica a couple of weeks ago. That was a fucking time. Me and Sam will chat to you about that. And then I'm going to do my download review, which is going to spark a fair bit of discussion between me and Sam on now, because I, I know I'm going to say some things that he's going to disagree with. And reviews this episode come from Foxjaw and The City Is Ours. So, Sam, um, let's not keep people waiting anymore. Oh, actually, uh, big noise.bigcartel.com. For your t-shirts and your beanies, £15.50. Beanie comes free with the t-shirt. Had to let you know that, man. I think we're we're actually really getting close to selling out now. So I know I've said that a few times, but if you were considering doing it, uh, now would be the time. Because I'm not sure I'm going to get restocked if we do sell out. So, Sam, we're going to kick straight on. We haven't got time for the news on this this episode because we're talking about so many things that we're going to go in-depth into. Greatest metal albums of all time. Uh, last episode featured the likes of Trivium, Opeth, uh, Marilyn Manson. There are two others that I can't remember off the top of my head, if you want to just remind me. Uh, yeah, it was Slipknot Volume 3. Ah, uh, yes. And I believe it was City of Evil by Avenged. Let's continue the list, bro. Um, we're going to only do four today, because yep. that ends a category. Yep. So I'd like to start a fresh one next episode. I'm into it. Um, se- 74, System of a Down, Mesmerise. Oh, actually, not familiar with this album. I only really know Toxicity. Uh, yes, you are, actually, because it has BYOB and Cigarro and um, Violent Pornography. Oh, I am familiar, then. 
it's that out. <laughs> al- it's it's that album. Um, uh, and in my opinion, incredible album by an incredible band. Politically sharp, wonderfully wonderfully witty. Uh, typically mental, but at the same time, uh, more than more than toxicity. I think um, inherently more uh, inherently catchier and more pop friendly. Now it depends on your opinion of what makes a better system album. Toxicity had a greater social impact, and that'll be discussed when it does appear later. Um, no spoilers there, really. Let's be fair. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, I think System of a Down really perfected their ability to unite a fan base with um, a collection of some of the most um, interesting um, and pop-friendly metal songs I've ever heard. They seem to combine like obscure politics and. Um, genuine pop music um hooks together in a way that i've never heard any other band yeah violent um, pornography is absolutely incredible it is it, just 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 a just, just as a, a, a feature of writing a feat of writing it is, is it is incredible just like byrb as well which starts off like a thrash song and then kicks into this like just half groove it's so sick um, but there are also some brilliant songs on here as well. Lost in the Shuffle a little bit. Um, Sigur, I'm a big fan of radio and video. Um, old school Hollywood. Um, just just honestly a superb band um, producing a superb album that in my opinion is their second, the second or third best one that they produced. And next up on the list? Uh, Mastodon Leviathan. There are three Mastodon albums in this entire top 100 and they all came within a couple of years of each other. You do like um, Mastodon, don't you, man? You're a fan. I am a fan, um, but I also I also think that their their greatness has to be recognised for the band that really outside of Gajira and late era Dream Theater have carried the carried the flag for modern prog uh, prog metal music more than any other band. Um, there were three Mastodon albums: there's this, there's Crack the Sky, and completely blanking on the other one. Forgive me, but I will name it later. And Leviathan, Leviathan is the first of the of these three. Um, it's it's got Blood and Thunder on it, um, which is just amazing. Um, some of the best drumming I've ever heard is, is on this album. Um, some of the most imaginative riffs are on this album. And for a band really that are not known for their melody or ability to really carry a chorus in the same way that some of these other bands are, um, Mastodon have a real power and instrumentation. And like Spartan brutality, like there's there's no there's no little flicks and tricks here. Um, and I just think I just think they're a brilliant band and they deserve recognition. And they're really big in metal circles without any push. Essentially, they've done it all themselves. And I think that that's <coughs> a credit to their ability as a band. Yeah, Mastodon are a band that I'm really not familiar with, like at all. Like I know of the appreciation for Crack the Sky. Every metal podcast I've ever listened to has just fucking gushed over that album. And Crack I know, the Sky's brilliant. And I know that like they're like the working man's metal band. And what yeah, I mean, what so. I mean by that is is exactly what you just said. They're the they're the metal band that people really appreciate because they're not thrown in your face every two minutes. Yeah, uh, they're very rarely on magazine covers. They're not massively pushed hugely on radio. Yeah. Um, they're, they're I just want to that, that are huge because they're great at their craft. Completely agree. The other one's Blood Mountain, by the way. I've just quickly googled it because it was bothering me. <laughs> um, it's those three albums in five years, so it's Leviathan, Blood Mountain, and Crack the Sky. Um, if you ever get into them, Chris, I'll just start there. To be honest, just rattle through there. They're they're fantastic. 
This would be number 72. It would indeed. Tool lateralis. Right, okay. Um, you, talk to me about your thing with Tool, because I know we discussed how excited you are for the new album, but... Can I, can I, can I just... Can I just read you um, this paragraph with, um, that I've managed to find while I was doing some research earlier today um, that was written when it came out, and then I'll, then I'll tell you who it's written by. Yeah, man, go on. If you're a fan of the band, then you'll love you foreseen most of the above. Always expect the unexpected, but never expect to be disappointed. This is Tool taking everything they've ever stamped their name on and crushing it into oblivion. This is quite possibly the winner of the album of the year, even in the early months of May. To call Lateralis genius would only underwhelm the greatness of the record. Masterpiece would be much more appropriate. Bees. Ah, uh, uh, well, I, I, I massively respect and trust his opinion, to be fair. And I, I, I know from listening to That's Not Metal, he absolutely fucking loves uh, Tool. Massively, um, massively this, loves them. This was, this was Tool's third album. It took them five years to create. Um, partly because of uh, legal issues, but but Tool, my my thing with Tool is that it you even if you don't like them, you have to admit that they're four geniuses. Like it's it's like it's me, it's the me, it's the metal equivalent of looking at um, Rembrandt or Picasso, where you're like I don't quite understand it, but I can appreciate the greatness. It's like looking at a Salvador Dali painting, and it's like all right, this is fucking mental, but I, I appreciate that nobody was doing this and nobody was putting this sort of thing together. This was like 2001, so this is like the height of new metal and Tool are coming out with like 77-minute, 10-song prog albums. <laughs> yeah. And and, the, and and were being internationally lauded by metal critics while doing so. It was that good. The me- metal, metal, audience, metal audience knew that this, was <laughs> this wasn't going to be particularly popular. But they managed to carve out an audience by completely going against the grain. Like, like people forget how powerful new metal where Metallica took guitar solos out of their albums. Metallica. Yeah. Like that was the that was the pull of new metal, and that was the way that the genre was going. And bands everywhere were being told to change their sound or lose the record label or lose the record label's push. And despite that, Tool have brought out what has been quite rightly regarded as the album that sets them apart as. Not just like a a very good proggy tribal sort of band, but the tool mystique was built here. Like the the work you have to put in to understand and enjoy this album. Like it, te- you can't listen to it once. Like you'll you'll listen to stuff and then you'll listen to it again and then there'll be guitar riffs that you thought you didn't remember hearing the first time. Like they're they're incredible. And this is this is one of the this is one of the the mammoth metal achievements of the 21st century as a as an album and also the critical reception given the time that it was released. It's astonishing. When they appear on Spotify, I will take a listen. Uh, yeah, please, please do. Um, there's like three albums that you just have to ha- you have to hear if you're a metal fan because no no one else sounds like them. They even mix they even mix the music differently. The the vocalist is the is the least important part of what they do. Like he almost sounds like he's at the back of the band, if that makes sense. Man like James Keenan. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, uh, but yeah, but so he, he's like, it's hard to explain. It's really hard to explain. There there, there are no band that sounds like Tool, and Lateralus was was their best album. 
You know what I mean? That's that's it. Despite the fact that they're not on Spotify or on the internet or really anywhere or do any publishing whatsoever, they've headline downloading it's because of this album. Yeah, pretty much that's all you need to know, doesn't it? Like it's because of this album, pretty much, and and obviously a few others. But the, like I said, this is this is the this is the master of puppets for tool fans. Seventy uh, one. Lamb of God, Ashes of the Way. Don't need to say anything. Oh, mate, fucking hell, here we go. Um, I'm not, <laughs> not going to talk too much about Lamb of God because they are going to go up on a download review, but what a band. Holy shit, this album is absolutely fucking incredible. Um, um, I've, got to, ask, I've got to ask, is As the Palaces Burn on the list for you at any point? Um, I'd have to recheck the list, mate, because it's been a while since I put it all together. Mm. I'm just curious as to whether you'd put it above... I I think I've um no it's not above Ashes the way I think I've already I might have already said it I can't remember um if it is it's lower than it is it's lower than here and just checking I don't believe it is I mean just getting obviously the reason why I was that I was just curious whether you thought that was a better record than Ashes the way I mean if you did I would have disputed it with you <laughs> just personally no no, um, no um this is the highest Lamb of God album just had a quick glance through. In terms of this album, like, literally, the wave of American heavy metal was started with yeah. this album. Yes. Absolutely fucking amazing. I mean, even if you dive deeper into the album, even songs like fucking Blood on the Blood of the Scribe. Incredible. Remorse for the Dead. Oh, mate, the, that is, like, one of my favourite, like, pre-album closes, like, ever. It's a fuck. It's amazing, that is. Um, but, like... I always think it like it's an ode to how brilliant a certain album is when like you're talking like a decade and a half later, songs from it are still like the absolute set piece of the band's set. So for example, had Lamb of God not played Laid to Rest <laughs> or even now you've got something to die for or Omerta whenever someone saw them, they'd be like, as if they missed that one out. It's like a decade and a half ago. But like yeah. those songs are still an absolute like centerpiece of everything that they do live and i know that i'll give the stage to you for this but you know uh chris adler mate is just fucking unbelievable on this yeah it, it, it completely is it's one of the it's one of the best metal drum performances i've really ever heard but there was also shout to mark morton the guitarist who <laughs> some, of the, some, of the, some of the nastiest heaviest riffs but what i, what I find so amazing it's the mix of the God. two heather they're the complement each other Willie Adler and and, and and Mark Morton. Willie Adler's all rhythm, all heaviness, all chugs. And then you've got Mark Morton, who's a blues guitarist in a metal band, who's doing all those like beautiful little note note transgressions and stuff. It honestly, there's that's the that, that's you can hear you can Lamb of God could not have come from anywhere but Virginia in America. Yeah, I know, yeah. Like, that <laughs> couldn't have been that couldn't have been Paul. You couldn't have said it like Lamb of God if you're from Amsterdam. No. Or you yeah. couldn't have said it like Lamb of God if you were from fucking Dudley. Like, they had to be in the heart of America, in that Bible Belt, sun-soaked, bourbon-tasting area, because they're just... Oh, that Lamb of God, uh, uh, there's no band like them. No, they're not. They are an anomaly. Absolutely fantastic. What, what I think is like so genius about Lamb of God is, as heavy as they are, I don't think they're ever too heavy for anyone. For exactly what I mean by that is... My brother, who I know listens to the podcast, and a shout out to Johnny. Um, I know I could play Ashes of the Wake to him in full. And even though he's not a massive metal guy, I know for a fact he'd enjoy it. Because there's something about... It's it's heaviness. 
it's heaviness without the scar. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, hundred percent. There's there's something about the way that they they write the riffs that make it so fucking pummeling, but it's not like like there's no links to deathcore on this album. But this is one of the heaviest albums I've ever heard in my life. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Something really fucking unique about how the way this band piece their music together, and I think that Ashes of the Way, I do, as with many bands, I do this all the time. I flirt between their albums and which one I think is the better of the two. Ashes of the Way and Sacrament, I, I, I do. Mm, I, I, you know, it, it depends what side of the bed I get out of in the morning for which one I'm going to go for. But yeah. Regardless, I do think Ashes of the Way is an absolute fucking banger of an album and great, great choice for you, man. Thank you. I think it. I think it stands out for me because there isn't a there isn't a song I'd even remotely skip apart from maybe what I've become, where where Sacrament does does tail off a little bit, but the just and I'm going to talk about track listing because track listing fucking matters, man. Um, this is the first six songs. Light to rest, Everglass. Now you've got something to die for. The faded line. I'm out of blood of the scribe. Stop that now. Yeah. <laughs> like what is that as a track listing? That's GBH on a record. That is. Um, it doesn't even slow down until it gets to like seventh track, one gun and break, which feel like a breather, and then it kicks back in with um, "Remorses for the Dead." I just think it's it's a perfect metal album among many others, but Lamb of God built their career here. And the last album on the list for this uh, episode? That is the last album on the list, sir. The oh, next that, one. Oh shit, was that? Yeah, seven, yeah, yeah, hundred percent, dude. Um, so we're gonna go into a different category after that. Ah, uh, man. You know what? I got so invested, I just forgot what number we were. <laughs> oh, man. That's beautiful. Thank you. Next category would be? Uh, underground Gems. So, um, for example, on this album, it's going to be a difficult one um, for me to sort of try and justify. <laughs> but I've got I've got a... Um, my reasoning for this one is these are the 12 best albums um, in, in the metal circles that go outside of the mainstream metal circles, without which we wouldn't have entire genres. Right, okay. Um, yeah. So um, there are some very important and very key, like death metal, grindcore, um, prog metal, and black metal albums on this list. The kind of albums that the huge bands cite as, oh, we got into this and we got into this album, and then yeah, we ended up I'm, I, this. yeah, sort of like your classic. The Metallicas of Extreme Metal are in yeah. this list. Yeah. Man, yeah. it's going to be interesting, man. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come out with. There. This was the this was the most difficult section of the list to, to put together because I went because in, I went into it with pretty much zero pro knowledge. So oh, I've really? Had to, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a few bands here that I've already heard of, like At the Gates are in here. Yeah. And Napalm Death are in here, um, but a few others are, are, I had to read through some interviews and re-listen to some albums and that sort of stuff. Man, you must have loved doing that because I know you're big on your history stuff, so you must have um, I'm, really I'm, I'm, I'm such a nerd. Luckily, I've got, at my house, I've got three or four books on the history of metal um, written by various different people, so I can always refer back. So my rule is, is uh, if I read through an album and I'm like, this is great, but like I... No one else, other people have to say it's great. I know it sounds stupid, but bands have to be coming out at the same time saying this album's incredible. And bands have to be saying 10 years later, this album was incredible because um, it has to have that societal impact, I think. And that 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 speaks to the the album's greatness outside of just me or you sitting in a room thinking it's brilliant. Dude. Yes. 
two days ago. It was the 29th of June 1999. And that marked the 20th anniversary of Slipknot's self-titled record. Yes, it did. Strap yourselves in for this one, guys. Because me and Sam are about to literally go on a fucking tangent on this album. And I cannot <laughs> wait. So... Before we get into the nuts and bolts, it's important for me to mention that other albums that came out that year were issue, was issues by Korn, um, The Burning Red uh, came out by Machine Head, and uh, Colony by In Flames came out. And the reason why I've prefaced that is those are three of the great uh, bands of metal of all time, and yet every single one of their albums is absolutely pulverised by nine guys from fucking Iowa that would come out and release a metal album that will stand the test of time for as long as the world is in existence. People are going to refer back to this album that we're going to discuss now as one of the centrepieces of all-time metal. Agreed. Sam, let's start with, when did you first uh, encounter Slipknot? Because I can tell you right now I was not listening to Slipknot in 1999. So when was the first time that you really checked them out? Um, I heard Before I Forget on Kerrang! Radio in 2005. So still earlier than me, um, because I didn't get into metal. I was, yeah, I was, like, I was like 12 or 13. It might have been 2006, actually, I think it was. I didn't get into metal for quite a while after uh, yourself. I got in when I was like 18, 19, properly got in. I mean, like, got in enough to actually where I'm looking for other for new bands and really enjoying it and thinking this is the greatest thing ever. So I remember, though, when I was, when you know, at primary school and secondary school, I'd see people wearing the Slipknot hoodies, the Slipknot t-shirts, and then like the bags with Slipknot on. Yeah. And, and I used to think then that looks, they look scary. They do. Yeah. Not, great not, merch, not, man. Not the people. I mean, the merch. I was like, that... <laughs> <laughs> to be was... fair, it was sometimes the people. <laughs> to, to be, <laughs> to be fair, sometimes the people were scary. <clears throat> but. I used to look at the merch and be like, that band, they look like fucking terrifying, man. Yeah. And that kind of prefaced everything for me for when I would eventually listen to them years later. I listened to Slipknot years later because they had, uh, before I forget, on Guitar Hero 3, which was a song that... Banger. Which was, which was um, a game that I fucking played to death. Um, oh, me too. Man, me and my mate Jack, we absolutely fucking just obliterated that game. We played, literally we played it to death. Like, we would go around each other's house and we'd be like, should we play Guitar Hero 3? Like, even though, like, we were massive onto football and all that kind of stuff, there was nothing we wanted to play apart from Guitar Hero 3. And Before I Forget was one of the songs on there, and it was one of the harder songs as well. Like, you'd put it on hard or expert difficulty and it'd be fucking hard to play. And I remember thinking when I was first playing it and listening to it, I was like, oh, this this is Slipknot. Like, this is, like, obviously heavy and, like, it's metal and stuff. But, like, the chorus is, like, really, really good. I really like the chorus. This is years before I got into metal. But I remember mm. thinking, I actually, like, really enjoy this chorus. Maybe this band are actually sick. Never thought about it again. And then 18, 19, I started to really get into metal. I'm thinking, mm, new bands I should listen to. Of course, Slipknot, one of the biggest bands in the game. And I go back through. And I discovered that actually Slipknot would end up being one of my favourite bands of all time. And that they would be a band that could do so much uh, with the concept of metal that, you, you know, you just wouldn't have been able to tell me about when I was a kid because I just wouldn't have understood how it was possible. So, what was the, fir what was the first album you listened to? 
Would it volume, have been volume three? It was volume three as well, and then I went backwards. I think that's where I started as well, you know, volume three, because it had Before I Forget on. Yeah, yeah, Before I Forget was the first song I heard, and then I, I got hooked really quickly. So during, two, I think it was 2006, um, Slipknot were a, a regular on, like, Kerrang! Radio on television, um, obviously. And Stone Sour just brought out Come Whatever May. So there was lots of Stone Sour slash Slipknot coverage. Uh, knocking about and I'd started getting into metal at this point I'd already I think I went to my first gig in 2006 and through that sort of next year period I really got heavily into them so um I heard before I forget and then quickly after that I heard duality on the on Kerrang and then I watched the video um for duality which I thought was the sickest thing I'd ever seen at that yeah, time it's amazing um, like I'm like 13 years old and these people are running through the house and like Joey Jules has got masks on and they've got baseball bats and I'm just like what on earth have I found here um, and then I started because you see so I, when, I, when I like something I get like obsessive uh, for a long period of time so and that, that's what happened with me and Slipknot so what I did was I saved up the money and then bought their first album because I thought I want to buy their albums in the order um, so I got volume 3 first because that's the album that had those two first songs and then I went the first Slipknot album, and then after that I bought Iowa, and then um, I bought Come Whatever May by Stone Sour, and then I bought Stone Sour's first album, <laughs> and do you know what I mean? And then I bought Slipknot Live, and then I was like practicing Slipknot songs on a drum kit and all this sort of stuff, and it was just, they just, within six months, became like incredibly impactful. Um, but nothing, even despite the fact that I found Duality first, and, our, and we were having a conversation where we said that Duality probably is the greatest 21st century metal song as an individual song. And I, I really think it is. I've been having to think about it. And it yeah, is. Yeah, I, I, it is. Um, the first album. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when, I, when, I pre- when I pressed play, and I'm, I was 13. And I was, it, was a little bit un, it was a little bit unsettling because I remember buying the album and um, reading the lyrics and that if you open the, I don't know if you've actually seen this, but if you open the album out, it's got obviously a picture of the band on the front, and it's got them in their classic white, um, their tour jackets, the ones that are wearing with all the blood on it and all that sort of stuff. And it's got, and I haven't even listened to a song yet, and the lyrics are just in the middle, like scrawled in this red text on the band photo, the lyrics on the chorus to surface in. Um, fuck it all, fuck, um, fuck this world, fuck everything you stand for, don't. Some don't say don't exist, don't give a shit, and don't ever judge me. And that was just written there, and I was like, that might be the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, I wanted it as a tattoo for ages, and I was like, you definitely can't get a job in a bank if I ever ever want that or something <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? It's gonna be a bit of an issue if I ever reach for a cup of coffee and just like. Anyway, but um, so I, then I then I put on the album, and it's that that sound of people talking and like and it just kicks into sick and then after that you're on a you're on a journey and I, I i've never heard anything like it and no album has ever made me experience the things i ever experienced than when i first heard slipknot without any real extreme metal experience whatsoever it's like watching your first horror film legit yeah music like musical it, horror film yeah it's like i i'd honestly like it was because even i'd heard the third album which is just a, let's be fair, it's a standard metal album, man. 
um, a few bits here and there, but it's a standard metal album. The first one is is a, a fucking a, a Molotov cocktail of sounds, and it, it just it just hit me for six, and I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with Oilers. I was obsessed with Surfacing. I was obsessed with the the first six songs just playing on repeat over and over and over and over again. It was incredible. That changed it changed it changed my life really. That they opened so many doors to other bands. Before we even go into the actual musical aspect, let's just talk about the cup co- the cover art. Um, mate, a grainy prison cell behind nine of literally the most uncomfortable looking human beings that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Clown's, Clown's mask on this album is fucking terrifying. Yeah. It is. The, the the way that it's all configured with the eyes really low down and just like the fucking hair hanging out the sides and the massive teeth in the middle um, and like the fucking Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer nose in the middle. Uh, it's, it is absolutely fucking harrowing. Uh, like you, you look at you look at that cover art and it kind of like weirdly tells the whole story for, for, for the band. Like Mick Thompson's mask, you can barely even make it out. It, it's so difficult to see in between, like how like grainy and like disturbed the picture is. Yes, um, the the Corey's mask in this album in this album cycle is my favorite sleep that mask of all time, just because of how absolutely fucking psychotic it looks with the with the dreadlocks hanging out the front of it and just just like how absolutely fucking dark it looks with a really like wide black mouth. I mean, Matt, you you pick up that album cover because this is 1999. This is people were still actually buying albums then, and I've heard. Yes. I've heard so many people say that I bought an album because the cover looks sick. I'd never heard of them because it's 1999 and streaming doesn't exist. So I'd never heard them before, but the cover looks sick. So I, so I bought it. Imagine picking this up in an album store. Honestly, like, you wouldn't you wouldn't buy it, would you? You complain. You'd be like, why are you selling this? This, yeah. this, is, this is ridiculous. This is, not, this is not okay. So to give a little preface to the history of the band, um, the self-titled record is not actually... Slipknot's first album. Uh, they did an album called Mate, Feed, Kill, Repeat, uh, but it, which came out in like 1997, I think. But the self-titled record is the first record with Corey on, um, which, you know, the band always cite as like the game changer, you know. I'm sure you've read the story. When Mick yes. Thompson, Sean Crayon, uh, a.k.a. Clarence and Joey Jordison walk into that pawn shop, uh, the, the story is that they actually said to Corey, if you don't join the band, we're going to beat the shit out of you. Um, and but Corey was all for it, man. Like, how many, like I've read so many interviews of Corey where he's like, "I saw the band play because obviously it was the local I was seeing," and he was like, "This is amazing. I'm going to sing for these one day." He's like, "I think this is the greatest thing like I've ever seen." Like, there's stories where the band the band played a somewhat of a Iowan uh, metal to the masses kind of thing, and the, the guy that was in the crowd said that. Slipknot actually came through. This is before Corey was in the band, but they actually came through, fighting through the crowd and fucking. I think Joey Jordison was on uh, Clown's shoulders, kicking people as he as they were walking through the crowd to get on stage, and then they literally just tore the shit out of the stage while they were playing, and just this absolute fucking monstrous insanity that no one had ever experienced before. But with that, obviously, came the people that are like, "Yeah, this is just a gimmick, and we need to put corn back on the system." Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, it would all change as soon as Corey got in the band. You know, as as soon as as soon as they start writing uh, this album, it turns out that in Corey they'd have the the new the new figurehead for the band that could make them everything that they needed to be. Um, 
let's let's just talk for a minute about it's 1999. Uh, new metal's like the biggest thing now, and there's nine men in boiler suits with masks on. Let, if yeah. Me, if me and you were talking about this band in 1999, you know, let's pretend we're the same age in 1999. I think we go into this album thinking. What the fuck is this shit gonna be? Do you know well, what that, I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I, that was that was the original thing because they were seen as a novelty at first. Like they were invited on TV shows because they were like nine lunatics. Yeah, these weirdos. But this was a thing. Like there was insane clay and posse as well, and bands were wearing masks, and it was Mudvayne were putting like weird tribal art on themselves. Did I? I think I might have told you this before. Did I ever tell you the story about when Slipknot were were going for a le- record label? And um, one a record label owner uh, famously responded when that when he saw him live. Um, if these guys ever get ever get signed, I'm going to kill myself. Ah, uh, yeah, I I have seen this reference, and I think you have told me this before. And yeah. and then and then that they signed their first they signed their first record label with Roadrunner, and they sent him a dozen dead roses, saying, "We've made it. Now go kill yourself." It's really an interesting point that you bring that up because, mate, in 1999. If you are on Roadrunner Records, you are fucking the boys. Yeah. Roadrunner Records took a fucking chance signing this band. Obviously, uh, that's why they were uh, one of the biggest records in metal, because they knew what they were fucking doing, and they saw something in Slipknot, and they knew, yeah, these guys are going to be huge. But even to this day, if you're on Roadrunner, you're like, oh, they're on Roadrunner, fucking hell, there there must be something about them. But in 99, when albums were still the biggest thing, and, and I'm, I mean, purchasing albums was still the biggest thing. They were on fucking Roadrunner before the album even came out. And it was... I can see arguments for saying it's the first album, but theoretically it's not. But let's just pretend that it is It, the it first is album. for all intents and purposes. Jesus, yeah. no, one's, no, no, one's, no one's holding signs up for Mike Hilfried repeat songs at Slipknot shows. Yeah, you're right. Um, so if we're going to refer to it as like the first album, like they were on Roadrunner before it even came out. And that is... That's a feat in itself before the album's even released. And f- I've got to say, for them to have the, the foresight uh, roadrunner to be like, yeah, this is the band that's going to take something forward is a, a fucking absolute masterstroke. Um, but it's it's always funny to me how, like, everyone was talking before the album came out about, oh, man, these guys in masks, what the fuck are they doing? And then they play that Ozfest show. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh shit, you know those guys in those masks that we were taking the piss out of? Turns out they're actually fucking unbelievable. And it's like, and I've never seen a band do anything like this before. Corey Taylor said in uh, documentaries that on their first album, that it was really hard for them to get tours because no one wanted to take them out as a support band because people would just turn up for Slipknot and then fuck off home because Slipknot would turn up and how... Imagine being the fucking the headline band and Slipknot are supporting. How on earth yeah. are you supposed to follow? Imagine watching 99 Slipknot and then having to watch a band afterwards. I'd want to go <laughs> home. <laughs> I'd be fucking knackered. Have you seen videos of Slipknot in 99 to like 2003? Yeah, a, hurric- a hurricane crazy. would have less damage. It is fucking crazy. That, that, that Ozfest show in 99 is, is beguiling. How, 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 how some of those fans are rammed in there and Slipknot are playing as intense as they are and they're just being sprayed with hoses and stuff and they're punching each other on stage. It is astonishing. Um, they lived up to the hype as well. That was it. Like, they they weren't a novelty um, because the music was fucking amazing. Music, music was great. The music was iconic. Um, White and Bleed was being played on Radio 2, yeah. Radio 1. 
like, <laughs> like in 99, like Britney Spears was the world's biggest pop artist. Hit Me Baby One More Time and Westlife and Pokemon. Like, this was like an age of, like, innocence and, and boy bands. And Slipknot were as grisly as it got coming out. And I, that's, the, that's the thing, that they drew attention to themselves. But then, then it was the maintaining of the interest with one of the greatest six-song punches of any metal band ever. Absolutely. What we haven't discussed yet is the numbers as well. How they, how they each had an individual number with a boiler suit. And let's remember as well, no one knew what they looked like. At all. No one, no one knew what these guys actually looked like. like. The masks became the Slipknot persona. Like, very few people actually knew what Sean Crayon, Mick Thompson, Joey Jordison actually looked like. And that, like, again, like, obviously by the time I saw Slipknot Live for the first time, I already knew who they all were and what they looked like, etc. But, like, the mystique of the band was kept because these absolute fucking psychopaths, you didn't know what they actually looked like. You couldn't fucking stop them in the street if you saw them. There could, uh, there could have been anyone. I think that was the point of Slipknot. There could have been anyone. It's like with uh, Spider-Man, yeah, like, Spider-Man wears a mask and Batman wears a mask because anyone could be Spider-Man or Batman, and that's the point. And I feel like that tr- that translates somewhat to Slipknot. Yeah. And the fact that they all wear numbers on the border suits, I think, is the coolest fucking thing ever because that beca- like people would, were not referring to them as band members. They were saying, oh, number six or number one or number eight. Yeah. That, and that's fucking sick. Like, it, it's actually fucking years ahead of its time as well. In terms of creating like um their own kind of monarchy, it's mm-hmm. fucking years ahead. Yeah, I, I, I completely, I completely agree. And the, the, the astonishing thing here is it was it was so extreme in terms of the sound at the time, and so sp- sparsely recorded. And look, like, it's it's not well mixed. Like it's 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 almost deliberately brutal. Oh, in, oh intention, intentionally, this song, this album leaves mixing to the wayside because it does it doesn't necessarily need them. Uh, and basically, based on TV shows, word of mouth, and gigs, Slipknot went Slipknot were platinum by early two thousand. Pretty much, like like fourteen months maximum. Like it, it's astonishing. Absolutely astonishing that a band that extreme, like Platinum, like the Backstreet Boys went Platinum, not Slipknot. Like <laughs> it's 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 insane, it's insane the sort of um society, like the sort of societal impact that they literally went from being nine blokes, and then Ozfest and the whole tours, and it all just tornadoed into this into this juggernaut. So we've set up the pretense of the album and. Now let's actually talk about it, the actual album itself in terms yeah. of musically. I'm, I've got to start with Ross Robinson. I, I, I think this album is one of the great production jobs of all time. Yeah. How do you piece all this? To, how would you piece all this together for the first time, mate? What the fuck? Like every every Slipknot album before this could be. Could, uh, sorry, every Slipknot album after this had this album as a blueprint to be like, well, this is kind of how we managed it. Ross Robinson has got the job of getting these fucking nine absolute fucking psychos together <laughs> in a room and, and actually make it uh, piece together and mean something. And I don't think I've ever heard any producer 
bring out the raw insanity of a band quite like Ross Robertson does on this album. There are massively, massively heavy bands. Whitechapel, Thy Art Is Murder, uh, Cannibal Corpse, Napalm Death. Any heavy band you think of, it, none of their albums sound anywhere near like as, as absolutely fucking bludgeoning and brutal as this self-titled record does. And hey, Ross Robinson managed to just elicit this absolute fucking insanity from the band. Blows my mind. I've read reports and interviews that Ross Robinson would walk in the room and fucking body slam them and throw things at them while they were playing and be like, you're not, you know, you're not going dark enough. You're not intense enough. Imagine fucking trying to body slam Mick Thompson. Imagine telling Corey Tyler he's not dark enough in 1999. <laughs> I, I have to imagine that Mick Thompson was the only member of the band that didn't get body slammed. Yeah, I imagine walking up to Mick Thompson to fucking slam him through a table. <laughs> He's hanging off his leg. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, in 1999, for a start, on this album, these this music just wasn't being done. Adding DJ scratches and the kind of, like, high-tempo techno elements that, that, that is on this album. Obviously, new metal, the DJ scratches were in new metal, but not like this. There was elements... There's there's rap on this album, like legitimate rap. Yeah, the 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 star the the star of this from that that sort of perspective is is Corey Taylor manages in one in one vocal performance manages to sound like a death metal singer, a death jam rap artist, and someone going through psychological torture live while recording all on all in the space of three minutes in certain circumstances. His ability to transition from one complete different style to another and carry off. Wait, I, is is exceptional, absolutely exceptional. He's never as visceral as he is here. No, ne- never as as tortured as he is here, as raw as he is here, as heavy as he is here. But at the same time, so still really accessible and open. I, I, I honestly, it's I, I can't even explain listening to this album at times. When you listen to this album and he's got that numbered intro track with that woman saying the whole thing, I think it's sick. Yeah. That leads into the song Sick. It is absolutely fucking harrowing. It's like genuinely discomfortable, uncomfortable yeah. to, to listen to. And the, I think what, what's, so, what's so amazing about this album is that there's nine members of the band and they all, they all need to be on this album. They all have their own place. You can't you can't take Chris Fenn or or Clown out of this album. They have to be there. They yeah. All, it all it all pieces together to make this fucking brooding insanity that lasts for fucking forty five minutes to an hour. What I want to do now though is just give the floor to you to just talk about Joey Jordison for uh, for a few minutes because you know obviously you're the drummer. Uh, let's just discuss his performance on this album. Yeah, I, I completely, I completely agree. What well, before I even get to Joey Johnson, I wanted to to have a quick mention that that harrowing sample um, that started off is actually taken. It's taken from an interview where they discuss the Manson murders, um, spoken by a cellmate of Charles Manson in 1973. So like, it's not just a, it's not even a random sample. They had to choose like a sample about one of the most like fucked up things ever to happen in society of all time. Really, it's just ridiculous. But um, Joey jo- Joey Jordison um, between 1999 and 2003, perhaps 
Um, I would even, well, I'll actually include volume three, actually. That five-year period, he's peerless. Peerless. Um, you know how Mike Tyson um, won his first belt as a heavyweight, right? Mike Tyson went 28 matches, 26 knockouts, of which 25 were in the first round. Yeah. Um, that's that's this Joey Jordison run as a drummer in metal. There is no, and I mean that, that you can... You can take your Mark Portanoys, you can take your Dave Lombardos, you can take anyone. I'll, I'll take that five years of Joey Jordison over anything. There is nothing, there is no one better. Um, this, con- this concoction of like the tribal drum fills, the pace, the speed, the precision, the creativity to, combo- to combine like the little hi-hat fills to make stuff sound almost like funk-driven and groovy amidst the just heavy crushing metal stuff he's the speed of his legs and hands in in combination here and it's not just the standard i'm gonna play really fast really consistent bollocks drum stuff that you get at like dragon force where he's just playing the same drum beat for 70 minutes and it's a feat of stamina rather than technique this is some of the drum fills that he created here are just astonishing. Listen, listen to the the transitions that he makes in surfacing. Listen to the first minute and a half of Oilus. Oh Play. my god! Amazing. Just just the just the drums. How he, he builds it up with the drum fill, and then he changes it into that beat, and then it kicks into the. I, honestly, I just listen to the, the the Tom fills on White and Bleed. Listen to listen to Sick, just Sick in general. Um, listen to Eeyore. With the blast beats at the end, then when if you get the extended version, listen to get this where I, I'm I'm not convinced another human could play like that. Um, he is astonishing, absolutely astonishing, and um, they played it slightly faster live. And even now, modern Slipknot stuff, they don't play as fast as they used to. It's slightly slower. Um, Joey Jordison is inhuman at times. Joey Jordison is the greatest. That period of five years is the greatest period any metal drummer has ever had. And then you listen to Iowa and, and some stuff on Volume Three. There's there's no one better. It's, it's it's greatness. It's it's I can't explain like the tribal aggression and technique and just absolute peerless quality that Joey Jordison puts in. And no other drummer would have been able to do it and make it sound like that because you take that ridiculous frantic quality and frenzied playing out of the Slipknot album and it, it's not as it's just not as viral and it's it's like taking Travis Barker out of Blink-182 it, it, it's it's too it's too big an element honestly for a band as percussive as Slipknot it had to be Joey and only Joey could sound like that there's no other there's no other drummer that sounds like him the opening six songs on this album is the intro track Sick, oilless, white and bleed, surfacing, spit it out. And yeah, I mean, the, it, fuck me. Just if that if it was six songs long and it was just released as an EP, it'd have still gone platinum. Yeah, one hundred percent. The absolute fucking fury that burns through those six tracks. It just I, I can't. I haven't got the phraseology to describe how fucking insane it all sounds. Like, and when you're listening to it. Because I've listened to this album a few times in the last week because I knew this was coming. I just wanted to reacquaint myself with the absolute genius that is this album. When you listen to it all in one, it, it is literally fucking like headache inducing. Like just how raw and how powerful it all sounds all mixed in together. We haven't spoke about the the 
the prominence of, of Jim Root and Mick Thompson on this album. But, you know, I don't think me and you have ever actually said this. Paul Gray is fucking unbelievable. Well, oh, yeah. Unfortunately, was fucking unbelievable. To come up with the bass rhythms to match what's around him, I just cannot believe it was ever it was ever accomplished. Yeah, to, to match to match Joey and some of these heavy riffs, because that that that's the thing. Uh, what apart from just generically saying it's metal, what fucking genre is this? An, an absolutely incredible point because <laughs> a, a no one sounds like this. It's death metal, thrash metal, new metal. Um, fucking there's there's classic metal elements. There's grindcore in here. There's Whatever the fuck those three songs were that sounds like Corey Tyler stabbing himself in the in in in, in the wrist, and and the, the ones that set where he's like singing that like weird little lullaby, yeah. and it's that sort of like those sounds that are like like in prosthetics when it sounds like he's tapping a pot. Scary. Yeah. And it's like, and he hears like those little cogs turning. And, uh, and it ticking, and 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 it and he talks about the dust being inside his rib cage and all. It. Honestly, man, like there is, there is no album, there is no album because you know what, you know what, Chris, I've listened to albums that have just done the weird slow stuff like Suno, yeah. and 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 bands and bands. I don't even get me started. And bands. <laughs> And bands like that. And I've also heard bands that have just done the thrash stuff like Slayer and just done the deathcore stuff like Thy Artist Murder. And a lot of them have their merits in their own in their own way, apart from Suno, which is shite. But um <laughs> but to combine them all together and also release something like Wait and Bleed, which is a pop song, masquerading as a metal song at times. I, I, I honest, honestly like um aside from like the first Black Sabbath album and Master of Puppets, which probably set the blueprint for the majority of the next decade of metal music in terms of songwriting. This is probably, it's on the Mount Rushmore of most impactful metal albums ever. No arguments, and I don't give a fuck yeah. what anybody says. Yeah. And it, came, and it came out 20 years ago, not 40 years ago. But it's completely changed everything about what you could do as a band as well and what you could do for metal. Because before that, record labels were still trying to tell bands what they could wear and what they could, what they could say. And if you're a metal, if you're a metal, you're a metal band coming up, and they're like, actually, we kind of preferred you to bring the big single out with a guitar solo in the middle, and then I want you to do a video where there's like a girl on the car, and you were like, are you fucking mental? Look at something I'm doing. You yeah. can't, you can't do us to do shit when they're the biggest metal band in the world, and they're like, one step away from slaughtering live animals on stage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, 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 and like I use the Tyson comparison with Joey Jordison, but I also use it with Slipknot as well in the sense that, because um, I, I find Mike Tyson fascinating anyway, but I think I think there was there was a period of his career, you know, he went mental and went to jail and then came out of jail and then bought loads of pigeons and a tiger. And uh, that's literally what happened in his life. Like he just went, he went on a mad run, didn't he, for like three or four years. Um, there's the Tyson zone where like whatever story came out about him in like the late 90s and early 2000s, you'd have just fucking believed yeah. Because it was Mike Tyson in the late 90s and early 2000s. And Slipknot were like that between 99 and 2002. If you'd have said um, Paul Gray shit on his hands and splattered it into a newsreader's face while Corey Taylor pissed on his shin, you'd be like, all right, sounds like a Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. What do, they, what do they do Friday? Rape a goat. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it was the, the level of unbelievable stuff that they were capable of doing and the stuff they actually did. Yeah. 
like some of the stories that have come out since about that period of time in Slipknot's life when they were like beating each other up and, and constantly fighting and there was loads of drugs and like um, weird shit going on backstage and Corey Taylor was telling the story even a couple of weeks ago where he's like he was on ketamine and two women were wh- pissing on him in a shower um, a backstage at a Slipknot gig but his choice like it wasn't like yeah it was like a prank it was what he wanted to happen um but even so like it was just it's carnage on and off on and off for like three years and it got, it was got so intense and so chaotic they had to take a break from each other for three years otherwise someone would have died yeah and then they came back and did an album hated each other and fucked off again for four years because because it's too much the 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 idea that this album got them touring for like 18 months non-stop and then the day they get back from tour uh paul gray rings jim root and he says we should we need to start on iowa uh, that just blows my mind that, that they would be as insane as they were for the 18 month tour cycle that this was and then the day they get home they get they start planning iowa uh but that insanity does mix in doesn't it it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, does. it makes sense you listen to the music and it you, you, you f- I don't think an album has ever made me like feel as many emotions as this album does like I, I, I truly feel like that there's a bit on the closing parts of Eeyore where Corey Taylor is screaming fuck you into the mic he, he actually sounds like a psychopath yeah he, he legitimately sounds like an escaped fucking psychotic convict and it is fu- it's fucking terrifying. Like, even now, as many times I've listened to the album, and uh, as unbelievable as I think this piece of music is, that the end of that song... If you're listening to this now, just pause this for a second and listen to the end of Eeyore on Slipknot's self-titled album. It's fucking terrifying. He sounds like a, a fucking mentalist. And this album is basically an hour of just the most unrelenting fucking creative interesting metal that you're likely to hear this album is still is still peerless um what what we can say as well still you you can say that you can you can name a great album and there will be albums that since sound a bit like it because a band have obviously seen oh machine head are fucking amazing let's sound like machine head and so you should sound like machine head because they're awesome i've still never ever heard a band that sound like Slipknot ever there's and no, not a no, single band that sound like Slipknot and no one will it had no. to be that, that that period of time that collection of individuals from that psychological background from that emotional get up from that town because um, their descriptions of Iowa make it sound like it was that depressing and horrible um, if we weren't in a band we'd be murderers what like, was that thing that you said Corey Tyler said oh, about, oh yeah he said if all, he, he, an interview asked him what he'd be doing if he wasn't in Slipknot and he said he'd be um, he'd be taking aim at, at random civilians from the top of a tower with a sniper rifle <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I think Corey Tyler said that deadly seriously <laughs> <laughs> like the dude, there was an angry dude he, he hadn't even he hadn't met his dad until like 2004 he? hence the um, the lyrics in Eyeless and he was he was uh, sexually abused as well as a, as a kid as well um, which Ross Ross Robinson brought out of him. There's a story that Ross like sat him down and was like, "Tell me, he, like Ross Robinson had seen the lyric sheet, and Ross was like, what the fuck is this?'" Um, and he sat Corey down and was like, "Talk to me about this." And he was, and then Corey just told him like what a difficult start 
to um, to life he had um and fucking boy oh boy does that get translated in the lyrical content and less the lyrical content and more Who, the, more the delivery Ross Robinson's the bravest man alive imagine reading Corey Taylor's lyrics sitting there with him like tell me more Corey <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like tell me less Corey burn these immediately we're gonna be arrested if you say these on a microphone are you kidding me but again just speaks to the genius of the job that Ross Robinson did to control these nine fucking lunatics to fucking get them more intense to like th- there's like reports that like the members were like kind of like scared of Ross because <laughs> he was just wanting so much out of them but as i said it all translates into this translates into this absolute fucking monster of a metal album that has never been repeated and never will be repeated um, completely agreed. In terms of like metal folklore, this will stand the test of time for the rest of time. It's an album that I I, ca- I, I can't imagine how hard it must have been to review this album if you were working on a, on a magazine when it came out. Because how could how could you describe this to the listener? It's it's a metal unhinged and played at 100 miles an hour to a level that I just can't even describe to you. Um, but it it was the result of one of the great metal bands of all time that, you know, the next seven album comes out in a, a month, just over a month's time and their folklore lives forever, man. And it starts with this album. Absolute fucking just incredible. Final point I, I'll make on it. Um, they played a TGI Friday show. Um, go and watch it. It's the most surreal thing you'll ever see. It's fucking a Friday night in the in England in 1999 or maybe 2000, um, and it's a show that I think I think TJ Friday used to go on like maybe BBC or ITV, uh, the kind of channel that you would that you wouldn't see this kind of content now for a fucking million years. And there's nine blokes on the stage doing wait and bleed, and they're, they're uh, absolutely fucking tearing the stage apart. The fucking fans are loving it. And it's like, this was on, like, nighttime TV in the UK on a Friday night. Um, and it's a result of this absolute fucking incredible band with this absolute fucking incredible album, one of the great metal releases of all time. Completely agreed. Um, this I'm going to read I'm gonna read this line as well from the reviews, because I love finding these back-in-the-day reviews. Um, this is from Kerrang. Forget orgy, video, drone, or any of the sick new puppies you might have heard this year. Slipknot is the essential sound of 1999. You can't kill me because I'm already inside. You Taylor gloats on open a sick. One listen to Slipknot and you'll have the horrible realisation that he's right. That's a sick line. <laughs> I love that, man. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Anything from you just to finally close off this feature? Um, this is the this is like I said, this is the inevitable listen of of of, of metal in the last twenty years, and it it, it it can't be it can't it can't be ignored. There's nothing. It's it's hard to express if you if you listen to one metal album. That isn't the classics. It needs to be this. You need to, you need to hear this album. It's just as a human experience. It is unrelenting. Um, it's one of the best albums I've ever heard. One of the scariest albums I've ever heard. And just there is there is there is no modern metal um, without this turning the page. I think. And this is it, this hot. There's there's nothing like it. it's a hurricane and a CD player. Make sure you get a hold of it if you haven't already. I hope you're still with us. That was quite a journey. Fuck me. We, we, you know, we've been we, doing an hour and we haven't even done the, any of the band reviews or download. Fucking hell. This is going to be an absolute episode. Um, how are you holding on, man? You good? Yeah, always, man. Uh, so, dude, we saw Metallica. 
couple of yes, weeks. Yes, we now. did. Holy um, shit, I forgot about that. <laughs> I, um, I'm going to do a lot of talking during download, so I'm going to give the floor to you for the majority of Metallica. I will just say that in terms of production-wise, it's the best I saw them. Um, and every time I see Metallica, the the final seven songs of a Metallica set is my favourite time at any gig ever because it's seven of the greatest metal songs ever created with the odd new one chucked in every now and again. Um, and, you know, they lived up to that again at the Etihad Stadium. Uh, but what were your thoughts, man? Uh, Metallica are the best value for metal, the best value for money in metal um, in terms of length, production, um, quality, fan interaction. Um I thought it was I thought it was a superb show. I have I have fan quibbles with the set list on a personal level. Um I thought given that you're playing an open air arena in Manchester where the the rain was coming down like now tomorrow, I don't necessarily think sixty thousand people wanted to hear the the random album track from the black album that you chose to play. But All Lords of Summer, which at the time would have made sense when you're thinking, oh yeah, we're playing in June, but then you get to Manchester and it's pissing it down. It just seems like an ironic mockery of yeah. what we thought summer was. Um, so my, my, th- those are my two quibbles. That being said, um, uh, Metallica are the biggest metal band in the world, and every every time you see them, it is a show like which the genre can't replicate anywhere else. And I mean that. Iron Maiden can't do this. Guns N' Roses can't really do this. Um, because the the Metallica have the depth of set, uh, the international appeal, and just the universal pummeling quality um, that they that only they can able really do at this stage. Um, I think the I think I just think I, I just think they're terrific. I think they're exact they're exactly what you expect them to be. And there is a like you say a seven to ten song spree. Um, where it r- rattles from sort of one for who the bell tolls, creeping death, master of puppets, and nothing else matters. Enter Sandman, sad but true, and they they just play them as collected, um, collected section of the set, and you just it doesn't matter what comes before or after. Metallica could play thirteen jazz covers, those ten songs, and then play a Coldplay song, and I still walk away with it thinking. Didn't really like the start, but I'm, 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 I'm still nine and a half out of ten sort of thing. I still think I had an incredible experience, and I think that's that speaks to the the level of quality that their their albums go from 1983 to 1991. They've released five of the best 50 metal albums of all time, and they they can just pick and choose from those those sections, and they are peerless, peerless like. Um, Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield. I, I I don't recall them looking at their guitar next maybe once or twice. <laughs> um, now I think Lars is a bit long in the tooth, but he's never been the best musician anyway. And I think I think what they're able to do these time Metallica is they're able to tweak it enough to keep themselves interested and keep the to keep the fans interested as well. Because it's one thing for me and you have seen them like three and three or four times between us collectively, but there are there are, there are people there that come from all over that have seen them 25, 30, 40 times that follow them round. And if you're a Metallica like hard nose, you'd walk away thinking, oh man, they played God the Failed, they played Lords of Summer, they played Disposable Heroes, they played, you know, I played Memory Remains and all this sort of stuff. Like they played some anger, like they've never played, like they do it enough for the hardcore fan and the average everyday fan. And the nothing else matters enter Sandman finish. Um, never gets old. 
and and I think they are they are the biggest metal band in the world once again putting on an incredibly measured and concise and typically weighty performance um, that never feels like they're either out of their depth or out of breath. And and this this is just another another confirmation of that. It's like didn't feel like a special Metallica show. It just felt like this is the thing. It's a special show for us because it's seen Metallica. But you watch them and think they could they do this every three days, and it's piss easy for them. And it's that even that in itself is astonishing. They're able to play this magnitude of songs and play this magnitude of arenas pretty much every other day, and they've done so for the last thirty years. It's astonishing. Um, they're 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 the ultimate professionals, and and seeing them is always a pleasure, and and that night was no exception. So to save time, I'm going to go straight onto download here. Um, <coughs> I echo most of your sentiments there. I wasn't massive on the fact that they played the God that failed, um, and I wasn't massive on the sound either. Uh, I thought the sound, you know, could have been questioned at times, and also um, there was like. A point, a point where, where I was like, I wasn't sure whether the set could have been tweaked in terms of... I'm not sure whether Kirk Hammett and Rob Rob's, like, covers work. Yeah, like I, I understand. Kind of, like, it was cool that they played I Want to Be Adored by the Stone Roses. Um, but I'm not sure it works. I think it works in certain circumstances where... You know what, where I think it really works is Europe like mainland Europe. Like I saw I saw a video where they played a the Catalan Song of Independence in Barcelona. The place went berserk. Um and that that makes sense. You're playing a culturally significant song. Um but in England we're like I don't think we react as well to that. Yeah, I agree. I'm just, I'm just not sure it works, but holy shit, what a time we had. Uh fucking amazing band. That was the third time I've seen them. Definitely won't be the last. Agreed. Okay, do download Festival 2019. So I'm going to follow you in the sense that I've split the bands up into categories. <laughs> um, Love it. So now I'm not going to speak with every band I saw at download because I don't think any fucker wants to hear me go on for two hours about every band I saw. So I'll split it into bands I didn't enjoy, bands I found new respect for, and bands I loved. So we're going to... Start with bands I didn't enjoy. Um, Def Leppard. <laughs> I love this already. Did, yeah. did you Did you know I was going to start with this just because of how well you know me? Um, I I I love that you started with the bands you didn't enjoy. I like the reverse psychology. I've got so much time with it. I had a great time at Download. Now let's start with the shit bits. <laughs> so download, much time for that. You so Download British. was fucking phenomenal. I've got you know it's important that I point that out. But of course, when you see in twenty twenty five bands, um. There's going to be some that you didn't that you really didn't enjoy. And I've got to say, right, the Friday was like the classic rock day at Download. Can I ask you, Sam? Go on then. Do you think it should still be there? And so what I'm going to do here, I'm going to have to pretend that I am not What's a it? not a businessman. I'm just going to speak about it as 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 a fan because as a businessman, I'm not sure whether. I'd be curious to know. Andy Coppin's never going to fucking release this information. I'd be curious to know how much the whether how many day ticket sales they get on the classic rock day because download festival. If I had to pick an age range, it's between eighteen to forty. 
generally. And but mostly, it's the it's the eighteen to like mid thirties that you get. And I've got to say, dude, I'm I'm standing there on the on the Friday night watching Def Leppard's headline set. And I was thinking to myself, you know, if I saw this on Sky, if I was sixteen, and I saw this on Sky Arts in two weeks, I'd say, man, fucking metal's boring, yeah. <laughs> because now, now it it's somewhat unfair to say that because Def Leppard are, Def Leppard aren't a band known for their live. Did you did you watch them at download just to slight them on this podcast? No, I watched them at download because I thought, oh, maybe they can maybe they can change my opinion. Maybe you'll get the sugar poured on you and you'll change your mind. <laughs> See, pour some sugar on me. I did enjoy, actually, to be fair. I did have a decent uh, it's laugh. It's a banger, isn't it? It, it is a banger. I did have a decent laugh for them applying that. But, mate, I was thinking to myself, fuck me. I'm stood here watching these fucking 60-year-old blokes crawl around the stage. And I, I was thinking, mate, if I saw this on Sky Arts, I'd be like, man, metal's for fucking old people, yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, I understand that. And I've been thinking ever since, ever since I saw them, I've been thinking, right... In an ideal, let's say that like we Andy Copping comes out and he's like, yeah, you know why there's still a classic rock day? It's because there's not enough massive new bands that can that are, can, are big enough to headline download. And to that, I would say, right, okay. First That's of bollocks, all, though, isn't it? Well, I, I'd, I'd, I'd shout out and be that Trump meme where he's like, wrong. <laughs> first of all, I'd say if you believe that, part and parcel of that is because I don't believe that you have given all new all newer or younger bands the opportunity uh, in the sense that why the fuck haven't blink one eight two ever headline download why haven't green day headline download why haven't paramore headline download um oh dear now paramore Come dude on. paramore are fucking huge you, you, so celine dion i won't want to see her at fucking download either that's not a fair comparison and you know it it's it's the one that i'm going to make to disparage your argument right <laughs> that's now that's not Thank a fair comparison much. you asshole. <laughs> um and secondly, I say, okay, if if that's what you're saying, how about this? No, he wouldn't do this because he's a businessman. But again, I'm saying that I'm if he's just going to do what the fan in me wants, make download two days then, if you want, until until enough new crop comes in that you're comfortable yeah. that you just know. Left you out the boardroom for that idea? Yeah, oh yeah, of course. But I'm, again, I'm saying it as if they're going to go with whatever the fan in me wants. Yeah. Make it make it two days then, if if you want, because I'm looking at this classic rock day, Sam. Right. And this, uh, just listen to this. I am on the main stage, right? The final one, two, three. The final five bands: Blackberry Smoke, Clutch, White Snake, Slash, and Death Leopard. Are you being fucking serious? Like, well, no. If you if you're on that stage, you're gonna want to see bands that are like similar to each other. Do you know what, what would you do? Like fucking like Venom Prison in the middle of it, it wouldn't make any sense. No, it? no. I'm not disputing how they're all similar. I'm disputing. Fuck me, man. They're all fucking really old. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm just, I'm just watching this. I'm thinking, fuck me, man. Like, you hate old people, but like, <laughs> no, it's not that. It's that what? It's that because classic rock, I, I, I get, has its place at download, but to have a whole day dedicated to it, like, for example. Other other bands in and around the bill was like Opeth, which I did watch, which I kind of enjoyed, but prog metal life for me. Mm. And then there's Rob fucking Zombie at download again, and I was yeah. like, for fuck's sake, again. Play that song. 
Eagles of Death Metal were there. Okay, cool. At the gates, headlining the the fourth stage, which I wanted to go and see, but I couldn't fucking get in. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't you don't say shit about at the gates, man. Oh no, no, at the gates are sick, but I couldn't get in the fucking stage. It was absolutely fucking ramo in there, which yeah. which is gonna piece into another to another point I'm gonna make later on. But yeah, I watched Def Leppard and I didn't enjoy it. I was never gonna enjoy it. I don't like classic rock. Um, I know that you are somewhat of a fan of Hysteria, but I remember that because I mean, you were great. But I'd never sit down and listen to it all the way through. Me and you were talking about download, and you were like, yeah, listen to Hysteria, you might like it. And I listened to it, and I was like, mate, this sounds way too classic hair slash heavy metal, and like, so just way too classic for me. There's not enough going on that keeps me here. So to be fair, I was probably never going to enjoy it. And they're not there for me to enjoy, because the crowd for Def Leppard generally was older people. And some of them are really enjoying it, and that's cool. But when I'm thinking about, like, Every single year, there's a classic rock headliner. Does there really fucking need to be? Can't we just have? And this at the end of my review, I'm going to make my case for what I'd, what I'd say for uh, next year's download. But can't we just have a few years where, or, or like one year, when there doesn't have to be the really, really old school classic headliner? And you know, I know it's an unrealistic request because. Def Leppard are fucking huge. They're a massive band. They were absolutely like phenomenally large in the eighties. But I watched this and I just uh, the main reason why I didn't enjoy it is because I was just thinking to myself, if I saw this on Sky Arts and I didn't know any different, I'd be like, when when you've got people like Stormzy headlining Glastonbury that bring all that like really kind of frenetic energy and that kind of stuff, I'd just be thinking, man, that was boring, eh? Like it's just for fucking old people. Um, but I'm sure there'd be Def Leppard fans out there that would lynch me for saying this. Like, how could you talk shit about Def Leppard? Um, I'm not a fan of them, and and uh, just... that's how. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just watched this and thought, I'm not sure. Like for for the 26 year old fucking metal fan in me, like this doesn't this doesn't do anywhere near what I'd hope. Like a guy I was with, Will, he was like. How basic's this? It was like, you'd think headlining download, like, there'd be a real intensity in there, and there, there just wasn't at all. It was just a fucking... It was a, it was a sing-along on the fuck, on Donning, at Donington Park with with loads of people, uh, and I just, I, it just wasn't for me at all, man. Uh, what I will say, though, is that Slash sub-headlined, and it was sick to see Slash. It was he's, really cool, man. He's incredible. He is a fucking android. He is. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely fucking amazing uh, to see him and Miles Kennedy was really cool but again at a safe time I won't go into like a, yeah. a full review the other band I didn't enjoy Sam uh, but I didn't enjoy I'm being quite um, quite nice there oh god uh, I, I can think of several things I would rather have spent an hour doing than, than seeing this fucking I'll call them a band in quotation marks uh, Die Antwood oh lord oh my god Die Antwood sub headline Slipknot right that's now, that's an atrocity that is. Oh mate, I haven't even begun. Now, okay, right, they did pull in a big crowd, right. So I'm going to tell you about my experience with this. I'm standing there, like quite near the front, because my mate's girlfriend really liked them, and I was like, you know what, you fucking sat through a lot of bands for us, <laughs> so let's get really close to the front for you, fair for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. There's a screen with a DJ deck behind them, and as there's the start coming on, this DJ walks on, and he turns his bass up really fucking loud. And I thought to myself, oh, maybe they've got a load of sick drops. They didn't. Oh, God. Right. They didn't have a load of sick drops at all. Then a guy comes out, like, with... 
with these like kind of like um prison bottoms on um like he was in his mid 40s topless and like yeah he's, a really he's strange he's, looking dude. He, he, ninja he, his name yeah he's, he's the main male vocalist for Diane Hood. yeah so he starts rapping and i thought yeah. oh maybe he's a sick rapper and he isn't no he's not is he no and basically nothing fucking happened in this performance except for the the, the woman of the duo would come out and occasionally flash her ass and twerk a bit. She was her mic was turned off for the entirety of the performance. <coughs> Me and my mate pissed ourselves because the screens on the right and left hand side of the stage caught her with the mic right next to her mouth after a song when you couldn't even hear her breathing. Like <laughs> they they didn't even give her the chance of having the mic on. In fairness, I can I can kind of understand it because if you listen to the Diane Wood uh, on record. The way she sings is completely computer programmed, and it would be legitimately impossible to sound like that live because of how programmed it is. So I do kind of understand it, but for the for the, the me who's a fan of music, it's just it's just like kind of an insult that these are supporting fucking Slipknot on the Saturday at download, and basically musically fuck all happens in this set outside of some guy. A ninja acknowledging he's like, huh, yeah, we can't believe we're here either, and she flashes her ass. Other than that, um, it's basically some fucking dancers on stage while some fucking mid forties guy raps about his weird life in South Africa. Yeah, and, he fucking loves the fact that he's from South Africa, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and so fucking strange. So, some people get their ass out every now and again. I was like, how, how, like, what the fuck is this? Now, to continue. Slip, uh, download does occasionally have its variety acts and I do understand it because at the end of the day you've got to sell out your thousand fucking tickets and Diane Wood are for whatever reason uh, a massive proposition that I could understand why you would why you would be tempted um, to, to give them a go you know for example uh, Download has given Baby Metal a go now Baby Metal are a completely different proposition because they're actually a band um, but Chase and Status Skrillex and they all work. They all work to download. I've read many article praising how six Skrillex was yep. uh, and Chase and Status. But this was was a slap for the metal fan in me. This was a slap in the face. Why the fuck weren't Kajira given this chance? Or why wasn't um, I know Parkway Drive played last year? But why wasn't Parkway Drive given this chance? Or Slayer's final UK show. They headlined the second stage, so a big spot. But Slayer into Slipknot on a Saturday night to download. Fucking give me it. It, it, it was it was a slap in the face for a metal fan. This this was, um, and it, it just really irked me that sub headlining Saturday for, and Slipknot the headliners was fucking this band that have got absolutely nothing to do with metal. Um, but not only that, had absolutely fucking no musical intelligence or whatsoever. It was fucking abysmal. I, I really really despised the era. Um, People were loving and it around me. Hour. Out. People were people were loving it around me. So I don't think it was a success myself, but that all in a big crowd and there was somewhat of a kickoff. But I, I didn't enjoy it at all. Now you'll be pleased to know those were the only two bands that I didn't uh, enjoy at all. Uh, oh wow! For the okay. Of download. Um, the time so, you had. Bands I found new fame respect for again. I'm fucking really. Um, I'm really keeping an eye on the time here because we've got for nearly an hour and a half. Um, there's a band called Animals as Leaders. Uh, yes. They are a completely instrumental prog metal band and it was the guys that I was with at the festival that were like, we should go and see these. And I was like, oh man, instrumental prog metal. I was like, I don't like 
prog metal uh, like when there's fucking vocals on it let alone instrumental however uh this band are absolutely astonishing and um, there is a member called toes in the barsi who plays an eight string there's no bassist and i remember i showed you a track the other day called the woven web and you were and and, and you were like, oh, this is really cool and interesting. And I was like, did you know there's no bassist? And you were like, shut the fuck up. There's a bassist. I was like, I swear to you, there's no bassist. Yeah, that blocked my head, mate. Blocked my head. Live, I've I've never experienced anything like this live in my life. Literally, no, like, a maximum of 20 words spoken to the crowd for the entirety of the, of the set. They'd play this absolutely, like, fucking unbelievably technical instrumental prog metal Every two seconds, members of the crowd would be looking at the mates like, fucking hell, this is amazing. Everyone would clap, go dead silent, and they'd start again. It was fucking mental. Um, the, the drummer is like a fucking multi-limbed fucking robot, uh, like pre-programmed, the way he fucking goes through his fills. Really, really fucking great, amazing band that I've spent a lot of time checking out now since... Um, and anyone that's into, like, technical, like, really fucking interesting metal. Holy shit, give animals as leaders a go. Uh, another band uh, called Municipal Waste. Uh, I think you're relatively familiar with them. Yeah, good thrash band, man. I saw them. I, I actually got sent a new album, the, the latest album, uh, to review a couple of years ago. And that's when I started listening to them a bit. I was like, oh, this band are fucking really good, man. Like, just, they're fun, pacey, heavy. Yeah, yeah. But, but these were on. They headlined the fourth stage and finished just before Slayer. Yeah. So these were the literally the perfect precursor to Slayer. Like, I, I cannot think of a better band to precursor Slayer because these were like fun thrash metal, whereas there's very little fun <laughs> about Slayer. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, there is not. Municipal Waste, they had this like really like charming instinct that like flew throughout the crowd. There was a guy in a wheelchair getting crowd surfed. It was fucking awesome. That's um, cool, man. There was, they're just like basically just fucking chuck themselves through this set of like songs that lasted like two minutes, but it was so quick and frenetic that like, I mean, I was right at the front of the barrier and I was like, this is fucking sick, man. The crowd were fucking loving it. You could tell they've got, the following that they have got is absolutely diehard and they've managed to make themselves legends of thrash metal without ever actually being a huge thrash metal band. And I think that's always like a really cool thing when a band manages to do that because they've managed to procure themselves a hardcore following that will go with them everywhere and stay with them for 20 years just because they're so in love and that's enough to keep them going. So I fucking loved Municipal Waste. And uh, a band that we somewhat criticised on a recent episode, uh, Heart of a Coward. Uh, yeah, man. Their latest album, The Disconnect, we were somewhat flippant and like, oh, yeah, it's kind of good, I guess. Uh, but I've got to say, live it transfer transfers to the crowd a lot better. Um the vocalist Khan Tassan, who replaced Jamie Graham. I wasn't massive on that change originally, but I've got to say he was fucking excellent. Uh, new song sounded great live. Of course, I loved it when they played Collapse. Collapse is an absolute fucking banger and sounded really massive live. Loads of mosh pits, circle pits, everyone fucking kicking off. Um, and it's just reaffirmed for me that they're, they're a band that I need to spend a bit more time on, and I'm going to go a bit deeper into their uh, into their records because I've only I've only heard the big songs from their old albums, so I do need to check them out. Um, in more detail but moving on to bands that i loved um to completely oppose what i saw close the headlines the main stage on friday on saturday sam 
uh, I saw Paratrip at 10 past 1 on the main stage. Now, unfair comparison because they're two completely different types of band, but, you know, you watch Def Leppard, this, like, 60-year-old group of guys close the main stage on a Friday, and then you watch Paratrip on the, in the early hours of the afternoon on the main stage, and it's literally... It, night and it's, day. It's night and fuck. It is ebony and ivory, mate. <laughs> yes, mate. Paratrip, turn up this fucking nasty, gnarly fucking thrash metal band. Wait, I, I, I'm, I'm so in love with them, Sam. I, I remember when, when with the supported Trivium, and I was like, Matt, you're going to fucking really like these. They're, they're really fucking great. And what I, the main, the best thing that I absolutely loved is as I was leaving the, uh, uh, the festival, I walked on the... We left on the Sunday night. As I was leaving the festival, I walked past a group of guys... Um, that were all standing there with like the fucking metal jacket with the loads of patches on, and I heard them say to each other like, "I bet that band Paratrip on the Saturday man, they were fucking wicked, yeah." And I was like, "And that's it, that's the whole point." That's all like, you need. You turn up, you see this fucking band you've never heard of that end up being amazing, mate. They absolutely fucking tore the main stage apart. Uh, massive crowd for them, which I was absolutely buzzing. Ah, for. That's awesome, man. You could tell it meant a lot to them. They were like, holy shit, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Fucking we're on the main stage, you're downloading, you're all loving it, it's awesome. Um, songs like Executioner's Axe sounded fucking amazing. Soul Sacrifice. That's brilliant live band, man. Mate, fucking great. Honestly, these are the thrash metal bands to, to hang your hopes on, to carry the genre forward. Because <coughs> there's something about them that doesn't, it just, doesn't just tie them to thrash. They're like groove metal as well. I, I, I fucking love this band. I think they're going to be really special. As, as I've just said, if there's one band that I believe can carry Thrash forward to continue, then and, 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 and I mean crossover to other genres of metal, I think Terror Trip are the ones, man. Superb. Skindred. Mate, I, I've... Perfect I've, festival band, Skindred. Mate, literally. I, I, like, if there was one band that download were considering, should we get one resident band? Give it Skindred. Oh, yeah, it's like the house band. Yeah. Give it skin dread. Yeah, 100%. They can. They they originally were going to sub-headline the second stage, but they got bumped up to, like, fourth or fifth on the main stage on on the Saturday, funnily enough. Um, but I had so much fucking fun at their set. Believe it or not, it's the first time I've ever seen skin dread live, which you'd probably think, what? Uh, but yeah, seriously, they're... I've never I've never seen them live before. They're brilliant, man. Benji Webb is a fantastic front man. The the reggae metal which you listen to on record, be like, does this trans does this transfer well? Live? Oh Absolutely. god, yes, it does. Absolutely, yes. The crowd are fucking bouncing from the start of the set to the end. I can't think of a better song to ever end a set on than "Warning" when he gets everyone to take off a piece of clothing and swing it round in the air. Yeah, you know, man. You, know, you, you take part in it, you love it. You're watching it on the big screen TV, and literally thousands of people are just swinging their clothes round in the air. Um, so much. I don't think I've ever had a better like fun experience um, at a festival set than seeing Skindred. They were fucking fantastic. Um, and I'd recommend them now to basically anyone that's going to a festival with them on. You'll have a really, really good time at Skindred. Yeah, completely agree, dude. Trivium. You know I'm going to love Trivium. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was mate. no shot, mate. Mate, fuck me. Well, a band. And obviously, uh, Matt Heathy made you know, kind of like vocal nods to how they were kind of like, quote-unquote, discovered at Download because they played that set 
in 2005 to like 40,000 people. They opened up the main stage, didn't they? Yeah, they uh, did. In 2005, and 40,000 people showed up. That was when they were doing their Ascendancy tour, an album that we talked and basically gave a blowjob to on the last episode of the Noise Podcast, and rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, it deserves a blowjob. It's fantastic. Um, they played like Lights to Flies. Uh, they played, of course, um, in Waves. <laughs> Fucking mate, closing out to in waves, everyone sitting down and leaping up. I know that Slipknot do it as well, which we'll get to, but fucking, it, it was just a fucking brilliant way to end the set, man. Uh, they played Pull Hard on the Strings of Yamata because, of course, they did, and the song that I was gutted that they didn't play live when we saw them, uh, Strife. Oh, one of my favourite opening, one of my favourite 90 seconds of any metal song ever is the opening of Strife. I absolutely fucking love it. Um, Crowd's massive. You know, Trivium are a band that, that, that I don't know whether the popularity like died off is the right thing to say, but I think the only reason why I'd say that is because I, you know, you look back at 2005 and you'd think they're gonna be fucking arena size band. Yeah, and I thought it, they were gonna be massive. Never quite got there. Um, no. But third on the bill, um, sorry, third third headline act. What I mean is uh, on the Saturday a download. Um, Die Outward were above them. Mm, don't get me started. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, mate, it was fucking excellent. Uh, in the Sun, which was nice because it fucking pissed down on me all weekend. Um, <laughs> and it was fucking brilliant, man. Uh, Trivium are just... They're the quintessential fucking metalcore band, man. Uh, new song sounded good live as well. So, three bands left that I absolutely loved. One thing that I did just want to say um, as part of my argument... Actually, no, I'll leave that to the very end. Um, Slipknot headlining Saturday at Download. What kind, what kind of time did you think I had? I imagine you had a Do pleasant you know I mean? evening. Mate, they played Get This. Oh. They, yeah, they played fucking... Wonderful, wonderful song. Uh, they played Sulphur. They played... They opened with People Equals Shit. One of my favourite open lyrics to any song ever. Here we go again, motherfucker. As the, as the curtain drops... Uh, and and the fucking the whole band are there and Clarence fucking kicking off Kern ends up walking at some point in the set with a baseball bat that's on fire starts swinging it around um, standard Unsainted sounds absolutely massive live so does All Out Life which is the song that's not going to be on the new album but still a new release from the band that they were there's a reason why they've headlined download four times in nine years so four times in ten years and that's because they pulled the biggest crowd that I've ever been in, in my life I would love for there to be a count on how many people were there because I could not believe the size of the crowd. Literally, the entirety of the field was covered in people watching Slipknot, man. It was fucking crazy. I was relatively far back. I was kind of in the middle, which doesn't sound far back at a gig, but because of the size of the crowd. That's like 50,000 people deep, isn't (laughs) it? I was quite far back. Uh, However didn't stop me from fucking adoring it. There's a lot more I could say, but I won't for time reasons. Uh, absolutely fucking incredible band. Um, and we've just spoke about them for like fucking 50 minutes. But uh, watching them headline download a place that they absolutely should be. There's <laughs> there's nowhere else on the bill you'd even consider putting them. And the reason is because they've got a back catalogue of absolute fucking raging metal songs. Even outside of the first album. They're just a tour de force of metal that they could headline download next year as well, and the same size crowd would turn up. That's how big. Well, as I it's it's, it's Metallica and Maiden, and it's Slipknot, isn't it? Yeah, legit. They they are they're an avenged, but more Slipknot are the superstar bands of the twenty first century. 
Yeah, no arguments. Um, which is which is a problem because it's only them two. Uh, but that's just the way it is. Uh, Some things will never change. That's just the way it is. Yeah, you'd want more to be in that list, but for reasons which you know I've kind of prefaced, and you know for for other reasons as well. There was a period where you know it just stopped being cool to listen to metal, I guess. Um, but it's it's Slipknot and Avenged that are the superstar bands, and uh, but you know you watch this, and as I've said, they could headline every year, and for and forty, fifty, sixty thousand people would turn up. No doubt about it. Lamb of God on the Sunday main stage. Holy shit, what a time this was. I mean, <laughs> my Sunday went fucking Lamb of God Municipal Way Slayer. So that was a nice uh, time for me, although painful. You know to say? Jesus. You know, you watch Randy Blythe, who is, you know, coming towards his, his 50s, uh, just absolutely stomp around the fucking main stage at download and just fucking slither through this fucking kind of heavy groove metal that Lamb of God just fucking <laughs> burn your eyes with. But it all sounds fucking wicked, man. Of course, Rednecks on. Of course, the fucking play later rest. You know, now you've got something to die for. It's just... Lamb of God, I've, I've seen them support twice now. Uh, you know, because I saw them at Download and I saw them support Slayer. Um... I'm looking forward to a time where I get to see them headline a show, which I'm hoping is sometime yeah. soon because they haven't toured the UK properly in a long did time. Did they? Did they? Did they play Black Label? No. Oh mate, seeing seeing that seeing seeing them do that live, which I hope they do, if they have a chance, if you're going to see them on their own, is is wonderful and terrifying. Yeah. Well, of course, they played Ruin as well, and that drum fill. Oh I'll dude, mate. Chris Adler's just a a, a genius. And then finally, mate, Slayer, the last ever UK show. Um, mate, what can I say about this fucking band, man? Um, the, the Thrash Kings of all time. And I know that Metallica kind of invented Thrash, but they went away from... Oh, like, it's, not, it's Slayer, it's Slayer from genre, dude. It's Slayer um, genre. Thrash Kings of all time. Uh, I never expected to say this when I watched Slayer. Uh, it was a bit sad. Um... <laughs> I mean, it wasn't sad when I was getting my fucking head kicked in when War Ensemble was playing. I love that um, song. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. Um, but, like, towards the end, it was, like, quite sad. Like, you know, one thing that I thought was really cool is, like, the only mention that Slayer made of this is the last show, um, they come out, they play Repentless, Tom O'Reilly stands in front of the mic and he says, I hope you're in for a fucking wild ride, just like this band's been a fucking wild ride. And then they carry on. And then they go into the classic Dead Skin Mask. You know, they played Chemical oh. Warfare. They played Chemical Warfare 10th. Incredible. <laughs> uh, and it was fucking... The stage setup there was fucking amazing. <sighs> there was uh, two Slayer signs on either side of the stage that were constantly on fire. <laughs> and and when, when they were playing fucking uh, War Ensemble, the, the fire that was shooting up behind them was matching the speed of the riffs. So oh. Dun, 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 dun. And, like, the fire was shooting up at the same time as fucking Kerry was, was dropping his fucking rhythm on that. It was fucking sick. Um, you, you're watching the absolute kings to ever, the, the, you know, the best to ever do it, just slay through their fucking back catalogue. And, mate, fucking... You know how much I love the fucking God Hates Us All album? Yes. Oh, mate. When they're fucking... Because um... <laughs> I-, I was thinking to myself, like, I'm not sure whether they'll stick to, like, whether they'll start chucking in, like, 
the classic classics that you might not have expected them to play. Like, I fully expected Jihad to make an appearance, and it didn't. So I, I, I was thinking... Oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, I was thinking, because, they're not, because they haven't played that yet, I'm not sure whether they're going to do, um, like, Disciple. Oh, mate, they played Disciple. Oh, oh boy. Absolute fucking... <laughs> heaving fucking insanity and payback as well. I absolutely fucking love that song. Um, so I, mate, I was having the fucking time of my life. But obviously, they finish. Uh, uh, you know, as they get into their finishing, the finishing point. And obviously, you know this is the end of Slayer in the UK, uh, which is fucking upsetting. But mate, it stops. They go south of heaven. Oh. And there's 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 a one sec. There's literally at the end of South of Heaven. There's a one second pause. Bang, straight into raining blood. Yeah. I was like, you guys are fucking too sick, man. Please never go anywhere. <laughs> the final, the final Tom hits for Angel of Death. And Tom Araya just walks around the stage with everyone clapping him and so does Kerry King. Um, it's sad, man. Like, it's the first time I've ever, show, I've ever seen Tom Araya show emotion, man. He looks like visibly upset, but he looked like really proud, upset. Like, look at what we've, look at what we achieved. This fucking... This band of fucking misfits uh, playing fucking speedy thrash metal. Look at what we achieved. Look at the world we've conquered. Um, what a perfect way to say goodbye to the best band to ever do it. Um, they'll be missed, but I do think it was time. They teased something today on their Facebook page, um, and I do hope it's not another tour in the UK, because it would kind of be like... No, but this one's the final one, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of hope they don't do that, but... They were fucking amazing. Uh, my act of the weekend, uh, I would pro- I would go Slipknot, uh, but Slayer would be just behind them. You would have probably expected me to say that. How well you know me. <laughs> Indeed, I would. So one thing I just wanted to do, make a quick mention of before we go on to do uh, album reviews, and if you're still listening, I promise we will be over soon. Fuck me. Um, what I would expect slash want kind of uh for bands headlining next year um it's I, I think it's really important that at this stage that we start taking chances of download and yes diane wood was a chance but what what i mean is take chances on bands within our sphere i said this to you when i when i was talking about after all points east they have to give it bring me the horizon with architect supporting it has to be now now bring me the horizons all points east um all points east was selling festival tickets for like two pound fifty um but i think that also happened on every other night apart from the strokes which the strokes were the only band to sell out all points east which is kind of weird um interesting but, you, know, you know i guess that's the way it is um so i'm not sure whether that will hinder bring me's chance of playing download and yes they're a divisive band but they they have to take a chance and you know what Put bring me on. Put bring me headline in the main stage, and put fucking Sabaton or something headline in the headline <laughs> the second stage. Give people that you know, so they can't be like, oh fucking, you don't, oh I don't like bring me. It's not metal enough. Is it, yeah, Sabaton's on the second stage. Go watch that shit if you want. Um, I don't understand how bring me are less are more divisive than Death Fucking Leopard in 2019. Mate, that's a fucking great point. And bring me an architects. Put architects as the, as the, as the sub headliner. Bring me as the headliner. Take a fucking chance, please. It has to be now. Bring me a, like, of their age, like one of the only bands that, that have got a chance of being of pulling in a massive crowd to head, a, a headlining download. Um, they need younger bands headlining download. Bring me the fucking perfect choices. 
give it, give them a fucking go. If it's shit and you're fucked up and you shouldn't have done it, then you know what? You also booked My Chemical Romance, which people threw a piss at for an hour and a half. So, you know, you get up and you move on. Now, I'm not saying booking My Chemical Romance was, was a mistake, but I'm sure when Andy Coppin saw the videos of how they were treated, he didn't feel great about it. So, you know what? If the same thing happens to bring me, bring me or take the payday, they'll move on. They'll never do download again, but at least you took a fucking chance. Uh, plus, Architects are an arena band and they absolutely should be subheadlining download. I don't want to see Architects on any other slot on that download button subheadlining. I'll be fucking pissed off. Unless they're set the headline in the second stage. Um, but other than that, I'll be annoyed. Fair enough. On, on away from that, I'd imagine you'll get Ramstein uh, because Ramstein have recently released that new album and they've been touring around Europe, um, and it just makes sense, I guess. And I think, I think what they'll do is the last ever Kiss show will be at Download. I think, yeah, I th- fair enough. I think, I think if they because you know Kiss have been doing this final world tour for a while. Um, as, as most metal bands do. But Aerosmith played their, their last show at Download. Uh, Kiss have got quite an affinity with Download since it was Monsters of Rock. Uh, and I think that makes sense, Kiss's last ever show at Download. Uh, then you've got Ramstein as well for the kind of like um, the middle of the road metal in terms of age. And then you've got Bring Me for the younger band. Um, it has to be the, it has to be now. I don't want them to leave it another year because by then uh, Bring Me's Bring me would have been away for a while, and people have, have you know somewhat forgotten about them. Uh, it has to be now. Give them a fucking chance. Uh, any ideas that you'd want to see headlining? Um, if Parkway nailed Bloodstock, then they have to be on the shortlist. Well, we will soon find out, Max. We will be there, and uh, and 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 that that would be what I would say for for looking forward. Um, you'd expect to see the other bands, the classics, and things like that, but. One of Parkway Drive or Architects have to be headlining download in the next three to five years. Otherwise, the genre won't move forward. Completely agree. Uh, and also, uh, I wouldn't be too surprised if you see Metallica at download because they haven't played in a while. And it just makes sense, doesn't it? It's Metallica, it's download, they haven't played in like seven years. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. We are late in the evening here, Sam. <laughs> I know, up. man, Jesus. Um, we are going to move on to uh, reviews. So, uh, Foxjaw, a playground for sad adults. Now, it's important that I preface this with Foxjaw are absolute lads, and they gave, they allowed us to use uh, the riff from their track, I believe it is called Lottery, uh, for the intro and outro to this podcast. So, for, for a start, uh, massive thanks to them for letting us do that. Agreed. And what I, the reason why I selected um, this EP is because we've never reviewed anything like this before on the podcast. Um... And I wanted to just, you know, we're going to be completely honest about whether we like it or not. Uh, but I wanted to just give something a little bit different. We've done a lot of heavy metal. We've done a lot of uh, deathcore, that kind of stuff, and metalcore. But we've not done anything quite like this. Um, so I'll start by just saying, like, it's a very strange EP. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. You'll struggle to find another band that sounds like this in 2019. You know, at times it's Arctic Monkeys, at times it's like Incubus or even Caving, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where I'm like, at times I really like it, at times it just goes way over my head. There's a track uh, called Melt, you f- Melt, You're a Face of Wask- Wax, and it's got a really like nasty, sinister, unique tone, which which I really dig. But then there's there's tracks that just take it a little bit too far for me. Like, I'm not massive on Whale, Whale, Whale. Um, 
and like uh, and bodies in the wall. I just I was just a bit. It just got a bit too sad. Uh, yeah, like I'm not. I couldn't put a pin on what exactly this sounds like, which is I suppose part of like what would make them an, an appealing band because you won't hear much much of this band, much anyone much like this band anywhere else. Sounds like heavy emo music, sounds like heavy emo rock. Yeah, kind of like dirgy. Yeah, um, like with Grungy. a slow tone, with a slow tone kind of heavy, dirty. heavy smashing pumpkin sort of, um, really sort of melodic, but melodramatic sort of stuff. I think I think it has some good riffs though. Yeah, it's got some really good parts. That I really like, punchy I think, at I think, times. I think melt your away, your face of wax. I really enjoyed that. Like I, I found myself listening to that over and over again. I was really fucking into how uh, dissonant and dark it is in certain areas. Um, but are you into this? I like it in parts. Um, I think it, I think it's got I think it's got some highlights. I think it's got some heaviness. I think it's got some charisma. Um, I think it's got some like a dark, twisted sort of ironic sense of humour. Um, I think it's I think it's perfectly good. I think it's too short though. Um, I think if you if you're gonna do an album like this, you need a bit of length to sort of stretch your ideas out. So I think it just when it starts getting going, I, th- I don't think it sticks around long enough. And it, it does sound a bit like a melting pot at times, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think that um, I enjoy Foxjaw when they're obviously I'm a metalhead, but I enjoy Foxjaw when they're at their most intense, whether they're heaviest, when they're chaotic. And I think at times, mate, I think it relies too much on the slow poundings. And I understand this is a vibe that they're they're trying to chase, but I'd have liked a little bit of of a blend between the two styles of intensity because it did feel like it, it didn't really get out of second or third gear at times for me. One thing I would say is I'm really interested as to where they go with this when it comes to a full-length record. Because do you know I really liked Blood Youth when uh, the latest album there they went like really new metal and just like mm. really different and no one else is sounding like this. Yeah, I think that kind of thing could be achieved by Foxtrot because they're they're like kind of heavy indie, I guess. If you had to like try and put some kind yeah, of yeah, perhaps yeah. Um, and I think that through in the space of like, it starts to rock than it is to metal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think over the, the confines of 12 songs, they could really take it somewhere, but I do agree with what you're saying. I, I, obviously, it's only an EP anyway, but this is the kind of concept that which would sound better when it's stretched out so they can fully put what they're imagining onto paper and then obviously uh, translate that into, obviously, the, the, their really like dark tone. And I think that this is the kind of EP that, Further, it further cements them with the with the crowd that they've already got because they're, they've got they're a band that are getting a fair bit of traction and they're playing two thousand trees so I will try and catch them there just to see whether this kind of like heavy kind of indie intensity uh, transfers over live. Obviously for us it, this was always going to be a shot in the dark EP to listen to because we are we're metalheads at heart. But uh, it's still something that I enjoyed. Like I, I, I can't say I don't recommend you check this EP out. If you're into something that's completely different to anything else you'll have heard, give it a go, man. I, th- I think you could really dig this. Agreed. So we're going to finish off on the album review for a band called The City Is Ours. The album is called Low. Um, it's not out until the 2nd of August, uh, which is a, a fair way away. But the reason why I selected this is because, I, you know, I kind of realised that there wasn't a, a lot coming out um, that we currently had access to, apart from uh, this album. And it caught my eye 
because the City Is Ours are a band that I have seen people liken to like Beartooth and Wage War. So I was like, let's check this out, man. We might like really enjoy this. Uh, I'm going to push it over to you to kick this one off, Sam. Fucking love this, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I'm well in. Yeah, I, I, I think this is a fantastic album. Um, mate, mate, uh, the floor is yours. Um, I, I've fallen in love with their guitarist. Oh, mate, Stuart Mercer, he's a fucking boy. He's and, sick on this. And also, I think that this is perfect, concise, heavy, melodic, and powerful metalcore. This is what is this is this is what I want in a metalcore album. This is um this is reminiscent of the band that we love, Phineas. Yeah. And a few bands that I used to like before they split up, like Here Lies the Enemy, and and a few bands a few bands in that sort of genre. I am a massive fan of how much this combines everything I enjoy about metal. Massive choruses without getting too cheesy. Really good instrumentation. The breakdowns are heavy as fuck. Um, some of the guitar tones here and some of the guitar solos I think are sensational and i think it also combines that with a nice clean guitar aspect um a real dark tone and it and it even ends with like this sort of choral um gospel choir thing and, and i just think it's the right combination of brave and ambitious and also does that while being rooted in some of the best stereotypes from from modern metalcore this is the it's the one of the best modern metal albums i've heard this year i'm a, i'm a huge i'm well into this oh you've got to say i'm less into it than you fair enough man um and i think that's because when i went they're very they're very much like wage war aren't they mm-hmm. but i think when when you go in and and when they sound like wage war that immediately makes them sound like something that i've heard before yeah of you know course. what i mean so when you do that you need to be really really good at it to be able to, to to leave a lasting impression when you when you and, and, and there's nothing there's absolutely nothing wrong with a band that goes that, that sounds like another band that because many of the greatest bands of all time sound just like another band of that of that genre but for example if you're going to sound like wage war for me you need to be as good as polaris fair enough and I think this misses the mark for me. Uh, I don't like the clean vocalist for most of the album. Yeah, it, it does sound. It, it does have a voice that that makes sense for that. In the sense, sense you have to be, you can either love him or hate him, sort of thing. It works on now that you're gone, which is like the massive anthemic chorus, and similar to that, it also works on if oh. you know you know, which is another similar um, big big chorus song. But for a lot for the, a lot of the rest of the album, I'm in it for the riffs, and I get taken out of it's it's like a slap back to reality whenever I hear the clean vocalist come in. I don't think it works. I think this band would be would sound a lot better on record if they took a Parkway Drive stance and just had the heavy vocalist. Um, I know Winston <laughs> Winston McCall has breached into you know a different type of vocalism now, but I think this band would sit better if they just had the heavy vocalist. Now me and you laugh quite a lot because you're a guy that likes the blend of the two, which I am as well for the most part. But I don't feel like the clean vocalist works on this album. But what I will say is that it's still a good album, and Stuart Mercer, um, who shares guitar with Mikey Page, 
fucking job he does on this album. Some of yeah. the riffs are absolutely amazing. But even even, even some of the little licks that are hidden in the chorus is beautiful as well. Is this a band? I've got to say, I wasn't massively expecting you to, to be as into mm-hmm. it as you are. Is this a band that you can see yourself really like pioneering for? Yeah. Like, do you, is there any chance this comes up um, in, in December so far for you when we're talking about albums of the year? I would say. Does it have a shout? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so, yeah. It's 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 one of the best modern metal albums I've heard this 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 year. If you, if, you know, is there anything you could tweak? Like, would you what what are you what do you think of the vocalist, the clean vocalist? Do you like kind of echo my sentiments? I, I echo I, I echo your sentiments in terms of at times when I first heard it, I did think, oh, that's a bit cheesy, oh, that's a little bit bit a bit much, but I, I got into it. Like by the third or fourth by the third or fourth song, I, I enjoyed it like actively, and I thought it was I thought it's the right mix of power, and and now over 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 time that might stick in the core a little bit, but. As it stands, I'm always of the opinion that like you need one to make the other sound better. So like you need the clean stuff to make the heavy stuff sound yeah. heavier by comparison, and vice versa. And I think a chorus sounds bigger when it's when it comes after like some heavy build up and things like that. But this is this is this combines all the stuff that I really like about metal. Man, it's got some great instrumentation. Um, it's got some great riffs that I can really bob my head to. Um, I think the chorus is while. Yes, are a little bit on the cheesy side at times. I think it, it it doesn't try to outdo itself, and I respect that as well. Like it's not trying to be the cleverest bloke in the room. It's just, I think it's just a really enjoyable, punchy, um, at times soaring um, album that I that I, I really I've really enjoyed the instrumentation of, and I think that it's also at times brave, ambitious and, and occasionally quite intelligent. And yeah, I, I am, I am more than happy to, to create my own little city of ours, uh, the city is ours bandwagon more than happy. Cause I've been, I've been worn out of by this. I've really enjoyed it. Every now and again, you really catch me off guard. And that was one of those occasions. Man. I, I, I like that from time to time that I'm, 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 I'm less predictable <laughs> every so often. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings, an end to the longest <laughs> noise podcast that we've ever done. Uh, that is uh, two hours nearly of uh, <laughs> listening, potentially pleasure for you. You may have absolutely hated it. <laughs> but if you're still here listening to us now, then uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that, man. Hope you've enjoyed us rattling off about the brilliance of Slipknot and my uh, hate, hatred for Diantwood. <laughs> what, what a time we've had. So that brings to the end episode 13 noise podcast. Uh, we, we are going back in two weeks. Uh, I will be going to 2000 Trees Festival in two weeks, but I'm going to make sure the podcast is all sorted and done before then. Not 100% sure on what albums we're going to be reviewing at, at this time because I'm waiting for some big ones to drop into our inbox. So we're going to, uh, we might be catching you off guard in two weeks. However, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Um, we will be posting this on the Wednesday. So what that's going to be the 3rd of July. So, two hours of us talking shit for you. What else have you wanted? (laughs) We'll be back in two weeks. We love you. Bye. (laughs)